Welcome to Be Significant. Today is my turn to turn the microphone on my co-host, Matt Rogers. So hopefully you guys will get excited to hear a little bit more about Matt. Um, as you know, Matt and I are doing this thing last week. The microphone was turned around on me, and this week it's turned around on my partner in crime, Matt Rogers of Be Significant. Matt and I have known each other for 30 years. Um, again, I always like to downgrade that a little bit, like 25 plus years, just, just on the pure math of our age. But I am glad that I have known him for as many years as, as I have. He's always been the guy is willing to talk, giving advice. He's been my counselor. He's been my comedian. Um, he's obviously married one of my best friends. And I am so excited to be doing this adventure with him and this podcast with him. When I first met Matt in college, he was a resident advisor. He was the guy that was going to be student body president. He talked a little bit about it on one of our episodes. Um, I'm not sure if it's released yet, but he's also was a guy who was not in a fraternity, but did a resident advisor on a fraternity floor, which is just hilarious if you get to know Matt. And one of the things I tease Matt about the most often, and he still does, he wears his baseball cap like a farmer. So not quite fully on his head, just allowing some draft to go through. So since our early 20s, Matt has done some amazing things. He started his career in education and coaching basketball. He then moved into higher education as a director of athletics. And from there, Matt spent many years as a scout, a national college scout, and a corporate recruiter. Matt has a passion for listening, advising, and challenging people and their points and helping them become their best selves and meet their individual goals. Matt's now the founder of and CEO of Significant Coaching. LLC, where you can learn more about what he does and how to contact him at www.significantcoaching.net. I hope you enjoyed learning a bit more about my co-host and friend, Matt Rogers. Enjoy. Matt Rogers, are you ready for this week's episode? Bring it. Bring, Bring it. it. I mean, last week when you had interviewed me, I think you used the analogy like a lobster getting ready to go into the boiling pot. Yes. How how are you feeling? Fully cooked. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> All right. So just so you know, in advance, I went out and did a little bit of audience participation or attempted to. So I got a few questions that I'm going to intersperse throughout our interview. Yeah. Um, some were really curious about your, your new business. And they wanted to know more of your thoughts in that space. And some just wanted to bring up a little bit of your past. So oh. get ready for this. Put your seatbelt on. Are you ready? Fantastic. This can can only end one way. <laughs> it can only end one way. All right. So this year, 2023, Matt, has been an amazing and exciting year for both you and I. Yes. For you, you've written a book, you started a business, and you came back to coaching. Yes. So. When I was preparing for this interview, one of the things similar to what you did, do a little research on your current job and some of what the experts say. And so I did some research on defining coaching and I took a different collection of coaching and what coaching should mean and then trying to add a spin around significant. Okay. So on the research that I did says coaching encourages communication, reflection and self-correction. This helps the individuals you work with to become more autonomous so that they can take ownership of their goals, 
aspirations, and dreams. It also helps to develop more confidence as people believe they have the right to skills to accomplish their goals, dreams, and achievements. So tell me, does that does that resonate? And in your new role as just, you know, kind of significant coaching in your new job, what would you add to add a layer of significance or anything that you think is missing that really kind of brings brings it home for you? I think it's a, I think it's a great definition. I don't think my present or former players would agree that that's what I did with them, but yes, the the idea is the idea is as a coach your job is to get your students or employees or whoever you're working with to get them to the point where they don't need that coaching or we can put them in a position where they can coach others. And for me, that's where significance comes in with coaching is I want others to be able to take what I'm teaching them and be able to say, oh, I can do that. I can teach somebody else how to do that. And that's that's my ultimate goal that my team takes over the program. They take full ownership and I'm just a, another cog in the wheel and they're running it. They're adapting to what I've taught them and they're and they're making it something of their own. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so when you're working with your students and then I know your kind of history, obviously we've known each other, you keep saying for almost 30 years, so I'm just going to go for 25 plus years. And then I eventually might just go for 20 and you know, 10 yeah. plus, right? So we've known each other for a long time and you've always, when I, when we met back in college, you were always passionate about, uh, I would say teaching and I'm going to use that word more specific yeah. versus coaching. And then again, you talked a little bit about your experience on one of our episodes as a resident assistant. Mm -hmm. And so what I would really love to know is like, where did this, where did this start evolving? Where the stories started coming together? Where did it start? Like, again, through these experiences, did you develop or just know that you actually had an innate ability to listen, coach and push people to the, to try to do their best? Where did it start? I think it starts with little Sandra Holbert. That's where it starts. Well, tell me about little Sandra Holbert. Well, my sister had a baby when she was very young and Sandra was our first of, we have, my parents have 16 grandchildren and we have 21 great grandchildren, soon to be 22. And Sandra was the first grandchild. So, and I was only seven. Wow. So that made she made just a huge impact on my life because at the early age of seven, I, I immediately understood love. I understood responsibility. I understood accountability. I understood protection. I understood um, security. I understood privacy. Um, I understood how much a, a baby needed attention and care and constant love and you know so you know sandra who's 40 now just turned 40 probably was the biggest impact on my life in terms of me the the light turned on that said man i really love this i love caring for her i love being responsible for her i love that i get to hold her and care about her and make sure she doesn't fall down and make sure she doesn't choke and you know make sure she doesn't roll over and hurt herself you know and those things so i i i i have those very benign memories 
of this is important. I didn't understand why it was important, but I knew it was something that I wanted more of. I wanted that responsibility. I wanted to, you know, help her and help grow her. And then all my brothers and sisters started having babies right and left. And before we knew it, we had 14 of them, you know, and I was uncle Matt as a second grader and my whole life I've been uncle Matt, you know, so that's where it started. And I, and I got to see the difference I was making and, you know, teaching them the alphabet and singing songs and then sports and, you know, school. And, and, and I just loved that. I loved playing that role in their lives. And then, so when did it start shaping? I mean, you grew up in Lena, Illinois, so a very small town. We've discussed that episodes. So when did it, I mean, again, you were an athlete, I think, or at least you liked playing sports and that was what you were interested. Um, You've talked a little bit about on other episodes, but for those who might not have heard that, you know, tell us how you went to the school, our alum, co-college, and then really how you honed in on your degrees. Like, because I think you ended up with a couple degrees that would interest, but I think it makes the story of where you are today so compelling. Yeah, I, I, I think the, you know, being able to coach my nieces and nephews were a big deal, but I got a job with this, the Lena Park District at 16, where I was at 8 a.m. all summer long, I was teaching T-ball. And then from T-ball, I went to um, Park District where we, you know, we played games with the kids. And then after that, I went to the golf course and at 16, I was giving golf lessons to adults you know, and did then, you play, what sports did you play before you worked in all of those sports? Did when I, you were growing? I was a basketball, baseball, golf kid. I wanted to be a football kid, but I grew about seven or eight inches between seventh and eighth grade. And I got this knee disease that lots of kids get called Osgood Slaughters. And it was really bad for me. It was, I lost a summer cause I grew so much. And the doctors basically said, you can't play football. It was right when, you know, middle school is when you start putting a helmet on, you start learning to hit and playing football. And the doctors wouldn't let me. And then a year or two later, you know, my parents just said, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. Your knees, you love basketball, you love baseball. Let's not put you in a position where you can hurt your knees anymore. Cause it was just, I mean, you just touch them and it was like shooting pain up my leg. So I love football. I still to this day wish I could have played football because I think that would have been my sport. I, you know, I was, Lena was so small. There was only 200 and maybe 30, 40 kids, 240 kids in the entire school, freshman through senior. So there wasn't a lot of boys and I was a tall kid. You know, I was six foot, six foot tall, six foot one in high school. And so the coaches always wanted me to come out and play football and, and, but I just couldn't. So that's when it all kind of, you know, I, I got committed to those three sports and put my time into those three. Right. And so then you worked in the summer, kind of the park yeah. district coaching or yeah. right. Yeah. And then you got to college. So tell us briefly a little bit about you got to college, but then really how did you kind of hone in on what you were excited about learning? Cause I think a lot of uh, kids that I talk to when they're looking at school, especially if they're athletes, they're yeah. just like, playing they just love to play but they're not necessarily thinking about that next step of what you can learn and how you can do something with what you learn they just want to play so yeah it actually happened before that because when I my senior year before we went to co my nephew Andrew Sanders little brother was um, 13 
And I had the opportunity to coach, be the head coach of their Colt baseball team. So it was 12 and 13 year olds, I think. And, and I was really young, you know, typically it was a dad. It was a 40 year old dad that coached the teams and I, they let me coach at 18 and run a, run a team. And we just did really well. The kids, I had 11 boys and they, they'd come to the park every night and we'd hit and we'd throw and, and they listened and, you know, we, we started playing in tournaments and we'd, we'd win them. And then we, next weekend we play another tournament and we'd win it. And then the next weekend we play another tournament and we'd win it. And before the summer was out, we won the regional championship and I was coaching against all these guys that played high school, college baseball, college, you know, some of you played professional. And I had this ragamuffin group of 12 and 13 year olds and we beat everybody. And it was just, I remember being 18 years old, standing on the field. We won the championship and I was walking over to shake the other coach's hand and the boys came up behind me. We had this cooler of Gatorade like you did back then. And they dumped it on me. So at 18, I got my first Gatorade shower. Um, and it was just, it was very, very much, it clicked on me and said, I can do this. I love it. I want more of it. You know, I had kids that were learning how to play baseball for the first time, but just fell in love with it. And I was able to teach them some skills. And so when I got to Co, it was, it was already in me that I wanted to help. I wanted to teach. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know if I wanted to be in a classroom. I didn't know if I wanted to do this or that, but I knew coaching was going to be some part of it. Mm -hmm. And then um, when you explored, tell me how you explored. Because I think, again, going back to your current consulting, which I definitely want to get there of was that always in you? And when did that, the idea of eventually creating your own company come to play. But before we kind of go there, I think a lot of the kids you coach, again, they have the love of playing and yeah. they might have a passion like you did. You like to play, but you also liked to coach like because yeah. you, your life, you got the opportunity to experience what that felt like. So how did you explore to really hone in on a degree when you were a student athlete, essentially at a, at Co? Well, I was a mess. I, I really didn't get great guidance and I really needed it. And so, you know, my, the coach that recruited me to co, he was great. Bob Landis, he's still around, fantastic human being, you know, great mentor. And, and Bob was let go after my freshman year. We just, he hadn't won a lot of games and there were some senior parents that were kind of frustrated and all of a sudden classmen loved coach Landis. We just, you know, we were so sorry to see him go. And then they brought in, so Bob was 62 year old coach. They brought in a 26-year-old coach that was just really, really different. Yeah, and you know, I didn't understand him. He didn't understand me. I I was such a knucklehead at that point. I didn't know how to build a relationship with coaches, so I just didn't do a great job of understanding my value. And I didn't understand that my self worth wasn't for anybody's to take. And, and at that age, I had to learn that. So I had to learn that who I was and who I wanted to be was mine. Mm -hmm. Nobody was going to make me into something great. Nobody was going to give me something to be great. I had, I had to, I had to create that. I had to be disciplined. I had to work hard and it just, it took a long time. 
you know, and, and that didn't work out. And I got in a car accident after halfway through my sophomore year and messed up my back and shoulders and walked away from the game and tears and got healthy. And that coach, that second coach asked me to come back out. And I, and I didn't take it. I took it really seriously. I busted my butt and I was in the best shape of my life. And, and I was really excited to be back on the court and playing again. And what he wanted me for and what I thought he wanted me for were two different things. He wanted my leadership. He wanted me to come and be a junior, senior leader, um, you know, and, and kind of be a, that old guy role model. And I thought I was coming back to be the starting point guard. And at six one. Yeah. And that, and that was a huge, that was a huge boiling point for me where I was just so disappointed in the communication and I was really, really angry. And, and that anger, um, I didn't have a place for it. So I did everything wrong. Uh, I, I, I led, I let my emotions lead me. I let my insecurity lead me. And, you know, luckily co Co was a place where I could make those mistakes and there were enough people around that would say, Hey, Matt, you're not doing this right. You know, and they kept giving me opportunities and, and uh, I'm really thankful for Co for that because I wasn't a great student. I, I'm, I've never been great in the classroom, you know, but I love to learn. So it's, it's really an antithesis of, of two things. I, I, I love to learn. I love history. I love reading, but boy, I put me in a classroom and I just can't focus. And, um, and that's when I started to, to coach at some camps and we had coach Pettigue on coach Pettigue has just always been a savior for me. You know, I'd call him in the fall or in the spring and I'd say, Hey coach, you know, do you need anybody for your camps? And you go, absolutely, Matt, come, you know, and I started coaching at his camps and, and then he recommended that I do some college camps. I started doing that and I just, I got the bug and I, and I started to see other coaches work and I'm like, I don't like that. I like that. And I started understanding who I wanted to be and, you know, 20 or 30 years, I'm going to get the full answer to that. I think I'm getting closer. I think. Yeah. Get closer. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because when I, you know, how perception is reality. So the experience that you had, and I was a year younger than you, I just like to tell everyone I was younger than Matt Rogers. <laughs> and so when we were in school, my perception, and again, when I talked to some of our peers, because I went back to also to some of our peers at Co to get some, their questions and their perspectives. Yeah. Again, the overarching is you were, I said, how would you describe Matt in three or four words? And multiple times people are like, well, A, he's funny. He's very outgoing. And this is why you and I constantly have the argument of your introvert or an extrovert. Now you're an introverted extrovert. I think is that where we ended up? Um, and also then when they were be trying to be serious, I mean, because they also mentioned that, you know, somebody who paid rent at the Drite, which was our local college hangout. And, but then when they were trying to be serious, they all said, you know, a, a leader, right? I mean, student body president. You were always leading up efforts or initiatives across campus. Um, in classrooms, you were vocal if things weren't going well. Um, you would 
throw out ideas all the time, even if you didn't have them well-baked. You're just the guy that's going to throw out there and say solution-oriented. Yeah. So to your point, when you described, you know, Co as a place that just allowed you grace to be creative and figure out who you meant to be, whether you were top student or not, people always thought you had it together. So it's interesting to hear it from your perspective that you're like, that was just a place I was really just finding a little bit of myself and yeah. still. Yeah, I, I was so insecure and so lost in, in everything. You know, I, when you grow up in a small, small town, that's so homogeneous as my small town was, you know, and I always make the joke, the diversity in Lena was Catholic, Baptist, and Lutheran, you know, (laughs) that, that was the diversity, you know, so having to go to a place like Co where you were surrounded by, you know, we had, friends that were from India and Afghanistan and Pakistan and England and Japan. And uh, so many people look different than anybody in my home. And then the older I got, I started to realize, boy, they think a little bit different. And I like the way they think. And I like the way they see the world, you know, and I, and, but I was just, I was a hot mess in every shape or form. You know, I was, and it's really, it, my personality is, if you sum up my personality in, in a phrase, it's hot mess, you know, because I'm, any any personality, any personality test that I've taken over the last 30 years. It comes out hot mess. It's, it comes out right down the middle. We can't define you, buddy. You know, you're not this, you don't fit in that box. You don't fit in that box. And I was a GDI, you know, I wasn't a guy that was comfortable being on a, in a fraternity. You know, none of the sororities would take me. So I was. You tried. I tried my darndest, you know. (laughs) I I was Oliver Twist with the the bowl in my hands. May I have some more, you know, but they wouldn't take me. Um, So that was, that was, uh, you know, it was really, it was a big learning. And, you know, if you want to get really deep, I remember waking up in Mexico on a spring break trip in tears. And, and I just was like, I'm not who I want to be. I'm, I'm not, I'm not setting a precedent for my life. And I had kind of a trigger point our senior year. I was like, I'm going to, I got to, I got to get back on the track I wanted to be on. And, and I'm not the representative I want to be for my family and my nieces and nephews. I'm not the role model I want to be, you know, so for me, it was, I needed to go through that. It was like four years of rehab, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. where Co was my opportunity to really figure out what growing up meant, what being an adult meant. And, and high school, I was, I had to be responsible at the time. I worked 40 hours a week for my family. I went to school full time, played all my sports, you know, and I was senior class president, honor, national honor society president, you know, all those things that I didn't feel like I deserved, but for me, whenever there's a vacuum and there's silence or there's a void, I don't know why, but there's always something in the back of my head that says, go fill that, you know? And, and I think that's why coaching is so attractive to me and consulting is so attractive to me that I've learned over the years. I can, I can step into a situation and in 20 minutes I can go, all right, there's something wrong here. There's a void here. There, there's, there's people that are struggling. There's a, there's a path that they're on that isn't working. And, and I can analyze that very quickly. And, and I may not have the answer, 
but I'm going to ask the question, why are you doing it this way? What, what is your goal in how you're, you're going about this project or this purpose that you have? And, and, and what's always frustrating to me is, well, that's the way we've always done it. You know, (laughs) that's a trigger for me. Yeah, me too. (laughs) You know, okay. Why do you think they did it back that way back then? What if that person that started this didn't have any idea what they were doing and you've been doing it the wrong way for all these years? Or if it is the right way, why is it the right way? You know, so that's what I enjoy about coaching because every day I'm dealing with a group of kids or who are going through what I, what I went through. And I want to be somebody different from them. I, I, I want to ask those questions. Okay. If this isn't working, what is, what is going to work? Take ownership from me, take ownership. What, 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 what do we have to do differently? Or how can we take what we're doing right now and tweak it a little bit? So coaching and consulting are a lot of the same things. It's, it's solving problems. It's puzzles. And I love puzzles. I love solving problems. I love that. And so I want to kind of talk about that. You know, after college, you went on to do work in higher ed a little bit. You still always stayed involved in coaching in some way, shape or form. And then you worked a little bit of corporate for like kind of a scout, like a college scout, Mm -hmm. um, did a little bit of corporate recruiting. So, you know, through that combination, now we're at, you just created your company, Significant Coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll go to significantcoaching.net, you know, if you're interested to learn more after this interview, but tell us, was there, was there always a bug or when did that bug come into play where you're like, I think I can do this. Why don't I start my own company? And also too, you know, you've always kind of been a writer. When did those ideas start formulating? Like I should write this book. Cause when you and I talked, all of these ideas just didn't it just didn't happen in 2023. You've had these ideas percolating for a long time. So tell me a little bit about when that started evolving. And then, you know, obviously we just made it happen this year. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, obviously my parents, my parents, I'm sure I've talked about this. My parents didn't go to college. You know, I'm first generation college kid with my, my, all five, all five of us, all four of my brothers and sisters and I went to college and, and my folks, you know, were married and had kids at 18, 19 years old. So they didn't really know what to do. So they were listening to people at the high school and the people at my high school really didn't know what they were doing. Okay. You know, Lena's not the type of place where you have, you have an open English teacher position. You don't get 50 applicants. You know, you're calling local schools to try and get two people to apply, you know? So it wasn't that I didn't have great teachers. I did. I had some really good teachers, but I didn't have a lot of great people that could say, Hey, here's your options for the world. Here's what you can do. So, so for me, when I got to be a college coach at such a young age, I was a head college coach at 26. I had all the passion in the world and all the thoughts in my head that I was really good at it. And I was going to be good at it. And then the first game we lost by 50. And I had to take a step back and go, okay, what is that guy who's been a coach for 30 years that just whooped me and my team, who we pretty much have the same type of talent, what is he doing better than me? And and for me, I had 12, 13 years as a head college coach where I was just surrounded by great, great coaches. It wasn't like I was in their office every day picking their brain, but I got to compete against them. And really, I was really observant going, okay, what are they doing better than us? What are they doing better than me? 
And then three or four years later, I started watching the bench and going, how is his relationship different with his kids than my relationship with my kids? So all of that really snowballed. And then I was, you know, I got out of, got out of coaching for a while when we had our kids and I got into scouting and I realized the same things. These parents are getting the worst advice they can possibly get. Somebody's telling them to do something. So they're just doing it because that person is a coach or that person is an athletic director and they don't know any difference. So they're just going down that road. And then I did that for nine years and I helped, I, I met with 7,000 families. I helped 4,000 of those kids get to college. And after nine years, I was like, gosh, what do I do with this head full of knowledge, these head full of stories and, and all these kids whose lives have changed through the things we did together. And I sat down and I wrote out an outline. I go, these are the things that families really need to know if their kid's going to go from high school to college and they want to play their sport, they have to understand this. And there's a, there's a process to it. So for me, I wrote that outline and, and it, and eventually it became just a download of my brain. And I just started writing and every day I'd write some more and write some more. And before I knew it, I had 50,000 words and I had a pretty well-structured story from beginning to end that took families through that process. And thanks to, you know, a great editor and a great uh, book coach, I was able to take that 50,000 words, get it down to about 40,000 words and really polish it. And, um, you know, and now I feel like I have a document that flows really well with my crazy brain. It, it's, I've been able to take the madness and chaos in my brain and turn it into something with a ton of structure. And I'm really proud of that because, you know, I've always loved to write. I've always written, whether it's a blog or journals and things like that. But to be able to organize those thoughts the way I was able to do it and, and be able to give any family on the planet that wants to go to college, that's been really rewarding for me, you know? And, yeah, and again, I, I didn't think point. I was capable of it. Yeah, I, well, I think everyone else did, but it, to your point, the dedication, you know, you kind of just had to get focused. And then yeah. I think you took your own advice of getting a coach. You know, sometimes you just need somebody else to, to tell you the things you know, but will get you and guide you in a way that, seems helpful. And so not only did you write this book, but then again, thinking about your looking back at all of your experiences, your curiosity, the, the, the coaching, the, the professional work and scouting, all of that. And then writing this book, I mean, and then just the, the pure numbers of success, 4,000 to 7,000, 7,000 families you talked, you know, more than half you've literally helped get in college. I mean, it's a no brainer that you would then start up your own company, just kind of bringing all that experience to say, let me help you. But in a way that, you know, you're empowering the family and the child to think differently, think about their next steps and make those decisions. Kind right. of walk through what that feels like. So if I called you up, I went on your website and I said, this is really interesting, Matt, I want to do an introductory call. I have a kid. They're interested in athletics in college. You know, tell me, how does that feel? What does that feel like when they first engage with you? Well, for me, it's really exciting. I, I wish it was, I, I wish business was more um, organic because I'm at my best when I'm at a party or I'm at a school and somebody, somebody points to somebody else and says, hey, you got a 70 year old that wants to go to college. You should go talk to Matt. 
and we end up having an hour long conversation and they walk away going, gosh, thank you. You know, and, and I love that. And I appreciate that because I, I'm always that guy too. I'm looking for somebody to make an introduction to me and to say, can I just pick your brain? I want to learn more about this. So I really enjoy that side of it. But for me, as a guy that's been a coach for as long as I have now and a father, and I was an athlete, I, I can relate to parents and the kids in so many different ways. Um, so for me, when I get a chance to talk to parents and their kid, it's really rewarding for me to start the conversation with, are you committed? Is this something that you're serious about? Because if you're not, let's have a conversation about what you are committed to. Because there's a reason your family called me. There's a reason you scheduled this meeting. But let's find out if you're serious about this before we do anything else. And if you're not serious about playing your sport, and I'm going to help you figure that out, let's take this time to figure out what you are serious about. And if you don't know how to find that, I'm going to give you some tools to figure that out. And, and nine out of 10 times, the kid's really serious. They're really passionate about going to college and continue to play their sport. But for me, that's only a small part of the conversation. I, I want to set them up for success. I want to make sure there's a reality before we move forward. I want to make sure they understand their value. Because, you know, it's just like applying for a job, which you have to deal with all the time. If I'm going to apply for a job, I want to understand that job. I want to understand what value I bring to that job. And I want kids before they talk to a college coach, I want them to understand, yes, I'm serious about this. This is my value. I may not ever be an NBA player or play major leagues, you know, baseball or soccer, but I love it. I'm good at it. And I want to understand how good I can be at it. But if I don't know my reality, now I'm chasing rainbows. So for me, that's how I start a conversation. It's all about commitment and value. Once we know your commitment level, once we know your value, now we can have a ton of fun. Now we can actually game plan. You know, it's like if you and I were going to plan a vacation, you know, we're not, are we going to go to St. Petersburg, Russia? Well, why would we want to go there? What, what, what would that do for us? You know, where we like the beaches, we like sunshine. We're probably not going to go to Siberia. We have to figure out what the value of this and the beginning of this conversation is, if that makes any sense. No, absolutely. And then what, this was actually a question, a serious question that came in from one of our fellow uh, cohawks. Um, they really were curious about, you know, after they gave me some silly things to ask you, which we will get to, they really wanted to know, how do you talk with parents who actually have more passion than their kids and, or who are trying to live through their kids and might not be massively self-aware of that yeah so where you actually do do you have separate conversations do you bring them together how do you honestly bring that to the forefront um because that could be a really tricky dynamic i've i've learned to talk to the parents through talking to the kid and i've learned to talk to the kid by talking through the parents so it's it's getting them to understand, asking the kid, why do you love this? Why do you love your sport? Why do you want to play in college? And if they don't have an answer, it's it's now going, okay, so why are we here? Let's let's go back to the beginning. Why are we here? Why are we having this conversation? And then the parents have they they always want to interject. Well, we're here. He does love it. Oh, you know, he he's just shy, Coach Rogers. He's just shy. 
No, there's, there's something holding him back. There's a reason he's not jumping out of his chair to say, I can't wait to play college lacrosse. I really want to be a college wrestler. Okay. Because if he really wanted it, he'd be saying it. So mom and dad, why do you think he's not saying it? Mm. It's not because he's shy. He may be shy, but that's not the reason. His eyes aren't lighting up when we talk about this. Your eyes are lighting up, but his aren't. <laughs> you're like, so if you're interested in going back to college, we can see how that works. <laughs> right. And if we could redshirt you maybe a little bit and, and bring you yeah. in. And, and that's why when I tell people, they, you know, I tell people that I met with over 7,000 families. I did an entire evaluation and assessment with 7,000 families. You know, that's at least one hour of my life with 7,000 families. And they go, well, why are only 4,000 did you place? Because 3,000 of the 7,000, by the time we were done talking, they realized that this wasn't what they really wanted. Either the kid wasn't all in, or there was some huge behavioral issues that we needed to discuss. There was some huge academic issues that we they needed to hammer out before we could go to that next step. Um, there was commitment issues. There were trust issues. There were relationship issues. So, you know, 7,000 is just my one-on-ones. There's probably another 25, 30,000 families that I, I talk to over webinars and speaking engagements. So for me, it's, it's hard for families because they want the answers. They want to know black and white, how do we do this? And, and, and it's not about the process. It's about the young man or the young woman. You know, who are they? What do they want? Yes, they're really, really good. They're six foot nine and they can dunk a ball with their elbows. But that doesn't mean they need to go to University of Texas with 40,000 kids. You know, this is a kid that's got, he's shy and he's, and he's insecure and he needs a smaller campus and needs a coach that really understands teaching and, and caring. You know, this, this is a kid that, you know, loves to draw you know, so we need to find him a, a, a school that's got a great art program and it's going to encourage that creativity. So we, we got to talk about all those things before we talk about the sport. That's amazing. Um, a couple more questions. I mean, again, you and I could talk all day about just like the approach and really just being curious. But your father, you have two kids, one who is an athlete mm-hmm. and one who's interested in other things, but not yeah. athletics. Um, so tell me, like, as a father, um, knowing that your daughter's really interested, I think she's volleyball, but there might be some other sports that she yeah. plays. What are those sports like that you would encourage that you're excited that she could get involved in at, from, you know, knowing the differences and, and what that feels like from how coaches recruit you on different campuses, depending on the size, et cetera. Yeah. And what are the that you're like, I hope she shies away from those because that would make you super, super nervous. There aren't really any sports that I, I would have her shy away from. Now, if my son was into athletics, I would probably have him shy away from football because of the dangers. But if he really wanted to play, you know, I'd let him play. But, you know, and my, and my wife and I, we talk about this all the time, but there really isn't anything that I would keep my kids from. I want them to try everything. It's just, it's again, it, it, we talk about commitment. If you're going to do it, you're, you're all in because this is a team. You're committing to your team. That means, you know, you don't take a day off. 
you, you don't take a day off from hard work. You don't take a day off from practice. You're there. You're committed to being a part of this bigger thing than yourself. Okay. If you're not going to commit all year, you don't do it. And for, for Karen, I, my wife, it's more about being on the team than the sport or anything else. You know, because people ask me all the time, what's the difference between club and high school? Well, club, you're, you might practice twice a week. High school, you're practicing five or six days a week. It's consistent. It's every day. It's two hours. It's the same time. And you're learning persistence. You're learning how to step up to the plate every day and bring it. So for me, anytime my kids can be a part of a team and learn how to commit to that team and learn how to give of themselves, it's a win for us. Even if the coach doesn't know what they're doing and even if they don't win a lot of games, you know, to, to have that resilience and to learn how to build relationships and, and handle the conflict that comes with a season you know, and having to find leadership values when you have teammates that aren't working hard and aren't giving their best effort, you know, finding a way to say, hey, we need you. You got to give us more. You know, what can we do to help you? And to get teenagers or younger to, to do that, I think it's, uh, it's an invaluable trait for the rest of their life. Yeah, I get it. Um, okay, before we go to our rapid fire, I have a couple more questions from some of our college friends. Um, someone, so these are kind of little rapid fire questions, but with, from the college friends. So one of the questions, and this one came from Amy Sands, who we interviewed before, but she really wanted to know, are you encouraging your kids to go to co and or any other, I'll add smaller liberal arts type school? Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm i a lover of small schools. I've spent my entire career at small schools. So we're, my wife and I were always dropping little hints about co, you know, but she, my daughter's kind of like I was back then, you know, my brother and sister were both co-grads. So I was really reluctant to go to co. Um, and my daughter's got this, you know, like most teenagers, she's got big dreams of, you know, University of Hawaii and UCLA and, you know, because they have that reputation, they have that national reputation. So we'll, we'll continue to talk about it. Again, we have significant conversations and, and I'm a big believer in the Socratic method, you know, where instead of telling her what to do, I, I try and ask questions that she can find her own answers, you know, so getting her to understand, okay, what do you like about this big high school? You know, she's now been at a small school and a big school. You know, what are the things you miss? What are the things that you're, you're happy you have now? So the more I can get my kids to think about those things in that way, I'm, I'm hoping it'll lead to them making really good decisions at some point. And if they end up at a big school, they end up at a big school. We're, we're, we'll try and prepare her for that, you know? I remember your wife and I usually do an annual trip. And one of the trips we went to is Boston. And we were so excited about Boston. Right. This is when your daughter was very young that we were like, it doesn't matter which one she goes to, but we just will get an apartment and we right. just need to, go to some school in Boston so that we could just come back and hang out with her and she'd be embarrassed of us. And it would be great. So we'll see how that plays. I mean, I think the older I get, 
you know, that would be great in the fall, but the winter, you know, she can have the apartment back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Another question. We're going to go back to co. What was your favorite college hangout that you would consider your favorite, whether others would or not? Well, it's, it's, you know, I, I enjoyed Voorhees Hall, but I. <laughs> and tell our listeners what Voorhees Hall is, if they aren't a co-college alum. Well, they wouldn't let me be the RA there. I'll tell you that. There you go. They can add up. Yeah. Um, yeah, the East Side made right was uh, was a happy place for me. I enjoyed it there. Good conversation. Yeah. Uh, what was your first moment you knew you were interested in your wife? Because she was also a college. You met her at college for those listeners that didn't know that. Well, um, like most of the women at Co, she was well above my pay grade. Uh, and still is, clearly. Still is, yes. I, yeah, let's not put that in the past tense. That's still very much in present tense. Um, so when was the first time? Um, well, I thought she was, and I, I thought, I still think this way about most women. I just feel like they're so much smarter than I am and have their act together. Why would they ever be interested in me? So I was always so very shy about asking a girl out. And I, I tried to ask her out numerous times and was never very direct or forward with my asking out. And I was constantly rejected. Um, and I'm not even sure she knew I was asking her out, but always, she always found a way to reject me. <laughs> so you're getting good at that. You know, you're yes, I was, I was, and, and I, and I knew that I was, I really liked her because most girls I would ask out once and they'd turn me down and I would just, I'd move on. I'd put my head between my tail and, you know, and give up and go, but I kept trying, you know, and I enjoyed her friendship and enjoyed spending time with her. And the more I got to know her, the more I realized that my perception of her um, was greatly different than the reality in all, in, in all but good ways you know so i finally begged her to just the day after we graduated to just go out to dinner with me one time <laughs> she'd already packed up her life was going to drive back to colorado i said what do you have to lose you're leaving tomorrow you're like if you, it's it's 1 hour to 2 hours of right. your life give it so a shot your life and you get free dinner out of it you know and what, 20 how many years later from those two hours yeah we'll be married 26 years um in a month in a month that's amazing uh very fun i remember some of those moments i'm um just unwinding and it was fun to watch all right best college memory and then we're going to move on to our rapid fire uh it's so silly i remember laying on the steps in the big hallway of armstrong douglas with Jay Walker and Bob Fitzgerald, and it must have been three o'clock in the morning. And we were probably slap happy, maybe a little intoxicated, but I remember us just laying on the steps and laughing to the point of tears. And we were just, it was like, who can make the biggest joke to who can get the next guy to laugh, you know, and that's, that's my memories of Co. you know, um, 
I, I have the same memory with Darren Lineskis and ice. Um, and it was a hot night. All, there was no air conditioning in any building. And it must have been 125 degrees in the dorms. And we found ourselves, we snuck into like the RD's apartment. He was gone for the night. Ice had keys or Darren had keys. And we found air conditioning. And the three of us just laughed and laughed until we couldn't stand it anymore. So those, those are the, my best memories of Co. Just so many different groups of people that would make me laugh and we would talk and giggle and joke and tell stories. And, you know, uh, that was my best, my best memories of Co. just how much fun we had and how much joy there was and how many different people could make me laugh and, you know, and, you know, eating lunch with you and, you know, you guys didn't want anything to do with me, but I'd come over and eat yeah. lunch with you and you guys would make me laugh. And, you know, uh, I love that stuff. It was great. I agree. I think that was, it was such an amazing time. Well, Matt, how do you feel? I mean, you were fully cooked. No pun fully intended. Co- that's what we should have named this podcast. Fully cooked. Gosh, what were we thinking? Maybe we will. Fully cooked. We may have to but- change that to fully cooked at some point. Did it, did it feel not so painful? Like, no, it was was really, it was really great. Yeah. I don't like talking about myself, but, um, hopefully somebody found it interesting. I think others listening. Quite a few of our listeners will, um, let's go ahead and kick off that rapid fire. I don't know if you prepared better than I did, but let's just start off with again. And this one should be interesting just because you just kicked off an adventure, but what job would you do if it wasn't what you were doing? It's a, it's a really good question because I think I'm, I, and I, and I say this to the families and my kids all the time. I, I, I think I was born to coach. Um, but I think if I had my druthers uh, and I could go back and do it all over again, I would take guitar lessons and I, I had a great choir teacher in high school, Lisa Stitch. And, uh, and I wish I would have invested more into you know, I think I'd, I'd like to be a rock and roller. I okay. think I would have loved to have been in a rock band. I think we can still make some of that happen, at least like a Halloween evening yeah. or something like that. We and I don't think happen. I've ruined my voice from yelling as a basketball coach all these years, but I think you give me a cowbell. You can nail it. And a triangle. <laughs> and, a triangle and I'll, I'll make it happen. It's just amazing. Yeah. Would you tell your 21 year old self? To thine self be true. Mm. yeah be be the person you're meant to be and don't try to be somebody you're not I think that's good I mean it's it's always something where you wisdom you know just get a little bit of time looking back gives you a little bit of that wisdom and confidence that you learn along the way yeah favorite book or podcast um I'll just give you my I have so many favorite books and podcasts but um the I love uh, WTF with Mark Maron. I think he's, I don't know why. I think it's his insecurity resembles mine to some extent. And I love his questions. I love the interviews. I don't even, half the time, I don't even know who he's interviewing, but I just love that he pulls so much out of those people and and um, you learn so much and you get great stories. And so, yeah, I love WTF is one of my faves. I think that's great. Um, what's your go-to comfort food? Yeah, I, 
I'm all over the board. I love pizza. I love ice cream. So if, um, if you can get me really good pizza on your pizza, what's that? What do you like on your pizza? I am an Italian sausage and green olive guy. Delicious. It's my favorite pizza. And do you like it thin or Chicago style or I like it. I like a thin pizza. I like a, 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 a good crust, but I like, uh, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I don't like it hard. I'm not a big frozen pizza guy. I, we've got this unbelievable Chicago place here in town that makes a really, really great Chicago pizza, but yeah, but it's a thinner your, version of it. What's your favorite pizza place where you live today that you, again, if you guys are ordering pizza, where, where are you ordering it from? It's, or- it's Grinelli's in Castle Rock. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. fantastic. I mean, you gotta, you gotta cut off a finger for it. I mean, it's really pricey, but it's not something we eat all the time, but it's, it's so yeah. good. It's, all of us love it. Yeah. The four of us, that's our favorite place. Yeah. I'm going to have to try it when I come. Yeah. All right. And I know we're going to be doing a big episode on movies coming up, but what's your go-to movie? So it's a little different slant of like when you're, you're, you just, it makes you feel good when it's, you're passing by it all the time. You just can't stop. You have to just, you have to just stop and finish it out. There's so many. I, I'm, I have a voodoo account, V-U-D-U, Walmart created it and then one of the movie places bought it, but I, I, I've put all my DVDs from last 25 years, 30 years on digital. And this is how big of a nerd I am. (laughs) I have organized all my movies into the top 100 that I, my favorite 100, my favorite 101 to 200, all the way up to my top 500 movies. So I have them in hundred block categories. So um, probably right now I'll give you three. Give me Chef. Have you seen Chef? Mm, love it. Love Chef. Love, um, what's the Bradley Cooper Chef movie? Um, Burnt. Mm-hmm. Love Burnt. I love, love Limitless with Bradley Cooper. And I love Hoosiers. So I'll give you those four. Those are, those are probably the ones I go back to the most. Can't stop yourself. All right, nice. All right, so this getting a little bit more serious. Again, as you know, president for a day what would you focus on to change? For me, um, I think it goes back to kids. Um, I just, I'd like to see, I'd like to see our education system get to the point where every kid gets the same opportunities. Um, I, if I, and what I would do is I would create a two year mandatory um program for all 18 year olds you have to do something either between 18 and 22 or 22 and 24 if you're a college graduate and you have to give back whether that's military whether that's you go teach somewhere um, some civic duty you know uh, but I'd like to see there be a commitment where the government said if you want to teach for two years we're going to pay off your debt and go work in schools and give your passion and energy and so that's what i would do i would have everybody would have to commit to two years of some kind of service upon graduation of high school or college mm, that's yeah, great i'd get a ton of pushback from it but um every time you know you, you go back to the 40s 
with FDR. And, you know, we, when we opened up the doors for volunteerism and, and opened up the opportunities for people to build bridges and roads, and you look at our highway system today, it's all because of what FDR did to get people back to work. I, I just think it'll, it would work if we did it the right way. Mm. I like that. And finally, you know, what would you tell our listeners one piece of really significant advice that you've just carried with you um, throughout your career, your life that just is important to you? Yeah. And I may have said this before. I'm sure I have. But, you know, Jerry Spencer was my high school um, history teacher and Jerry's son, Jeremy, was my best friend in high school. And he was was my best man at my wedding. And um, Jeremy and Jerry came to our wedding out in Colorado 150 years ago, whatever it's been, 26 years. And Jerry gave us a card. And in that card, all he wrote was be generous, Jerry. Mm. And for me, it was far and away the best advice I could have gotten because I got married at 22, you know, and you think, you know, you're ready for that long-term thing. Um, but for me, those two words have really been the key to me being the husband I wanted to be. It's just remembering it's not just being generous with gifts and, and love, but it's being generous with being open-minded and your concerns and your fears and your joys and being generous with your heart. And, and uh, so that, that's been the best advice that I've ever gotten. And it's the advice I give to anybody else that gets married. I think shared that's right. that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Matt, again, thank you so much for being a little bit vulnerable um, and spending time where our listeners get to learn a little bit more about you. I'm so excited that you and I went on this journey. I think 2023, both you and I had some amazing reflections, experiences, opportunities that we probably wouldn't have had. And I think this was one of those adventures that I've just enjoyed and I've learned so much and I continue to get so much out of it. So we really thank you for... Uh, for doing this with me. And for those listeners, again, we always love to hear from you. Reach out to us at be significant, the number four, the letter U at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what you think. Give us some ideas. Um, ask us some questions if you have any. Don't forget to follow us on Apple or Spotify if you're enjoying it and hit subscribe. And as always, go out there and make a difference. You know, sit, think where you're at, look at your strengths, be curious about your life. Don't just let it happen to you. Go out there and make it happen. And thanks for listening.